Well, that's a lot to cover today. However, there is the question that remains for believers as well as non-believers. Why does God allow suffering? I mean, if he is that loving, why wouldn't he just come in and rescue us from suffering? Now, we're in this series called Life's Timeline, and before we get started, this weekend reminds us that we live in a world of suffering because we're celebrating Memorial Day tomorrow, and Memorial Day is when we remember those and honor those who have given their lives for this country, for those who have given their lives so that we can live in a land like this in freedom where we get to do things like this in worshiping our God. So we're going to pray and just honor those who have who have paved the way for us to be in a setting like this. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, we want to pause and just thank you for the men and women who have given their lives for freedom in this country. And you have given us a place to worship you in freedom because of these men and women. And so we want to say thank you for their dedication. Thank you for their family members and for the things that they have endured and the sacrifices that they have made so that we, in a time like this, could be in a setting where we could freely worship you. But more than that, we live in a country of freedom, and we get to do the things that we choose to do in accomplishing dreams and and goals because of these men and women. And so we are grateful, eternally grateful, for the sacrifice of their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen. Amen. Well, we are in this series, Life's Timeline, and we're talking about this scripture that the Bible gives to us, Jeremiah 29, 11. And the Bible says that God has plans for us. He knows the plans that he has for us. And they're for good and not for evil to give us a future and a hope. Now, here's the problem. When we we read that scripture, we, we have to come to the realization that, wait a minute, if God has plans for us and they're for good and not for evil, then why is there suffering in the world? It just doesn't look like God's plan is coming to pass. How does this happen? Because that is the common question that people will ask. Why does God allow suffering in the world? And it doesn't matter if you believe in God or don't believe in God. That that question is the most common question to ask. And so we're going to look at the Bible and see what the Bible says about why does God allow suffering to take place. So you can take out your notes from your bulletin. It will help you to follow along. Uh, Some of you use the church app, and you can uh, follow along there too. But it will also help us to kind of follow along in in why does God allow suffering, and what what does that look like when he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Because just think about just the beginning of this year, the wars that have taken place, acts of terrorism, uh, accidents that have taken place, car accidents, Uh, suffering around the world with famine. I mean, if you just look at the landscape of what is taking place, cancer, suicide, why would God allow suffering if he loves us so much? Why is it when there is some type of catastrophe that the innocent die and the, the one that caused the crime is the one who lives? Why do these things happen? It just doesn't make sense sometimes. And so God wants to bring a balance to why there is suffering and why he allows it. Why does God intervene for someone and then leave someone else looking like he has not cared for them? Why would God heal someone and then not heal someone? Why would someone receive a miracle and then the other person don't receive a miracle? And it can almost seem like, is it because of good behavior? Is it because they did something good? Well, we know that the statements that 
Because this person was good, that's why God healed them, and this person was bad, that's why God didn't heal them, aren't true statements. Our, our, our receiving of God's miracles or salvation or even healing is not based on our good behavior or performance. But then the question is, what is it based on? How does that even happen? How does God decide who gets the miracle and who doesn't? Actually, all of these questions are rooted in the kingdom of God. That Jesus came to this world and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, but it is also coming. In other words, Jesus was saying, I am able to see past, present, and future. That in the present, we see the miracles taking place, God intervening, we see good things happening, but we also see bad things happening. And Jesus is saying, but I also see a kingdom that is coming. So he can see future. We live in the now and the not yet. So we cannot fathom what is yet to come. And so in God's infinite knowledge and in his ability to see the future, which we cannot see, he is able to see mankind and where we are today. And even though there is suffering, God knows that the end is going to bring about something victorious. Now, we don't see that, and we don't know why certain things happen, and very rarely can we answer those types of questions. But there will be a day of, judgments, of judgment when all things will be made right. And that's what Jesus is looking towards. He's saying, there will come a day where I will wipe away every tear, and I'll bring comfort to every single soul. Have you ever wiped away a tear from someone's eyes? someone that's hurting, someone who's going through a difficult season, it's comforting for that person, especially for our children or our grandchildren when they're crying and they have that unconvulsive or that convulsive, uncontrollable crying and they just can't stop and then you bring comfort to them. It does something. And that's what Jesus is saying. One day God will wipe away every tear. There will be no suffering, no pain because we live in the now and we only see that happening today and we only see the suffering and even though there are good things happening it's it almost seems like the suffering suffocates the good things that are taking place see when it comes to suffering it is usually because of a person by a person or about a person but if god is all powerful all knowing and all loving why does he allow suffering we also know that evil exists and suffering is real her name is Ashlyn, and her mother was on a talk show discussing a strange problem called SIPA, C-I-P-A, which stands for congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis. And she doesn't feel pain. If she steps on a nail, she doesn't feel it. If she puts her hand on something hot, Ashlyn can't feel it. Now, we might look at that and say, oh, I, I wish I couldn't feel pain. I could scrap people, fight people, and I wouldn't feel pain. Well, here's the problem, and here's the problem that Ashlyn deals with. If she is to step on something sharp and that cut is to get infected, she can die because she doesn't know she's in pain. She doesn't know that she's infected. She could put her hand on the stove, not know that she's burnt, and infection can take place because she doesn't know that there's a problem. Now, we can look at that and say, boy, then that, that does make sense, that there is pain to tell us that something is wrong. But is it, is it more than that? Can it just be that God wants us to feel pain to let us know that something is wrong? See, in our infinite thinking or our finite thinking, we can, we can see the role of pain to warn us that something is wrong. But is it possible 
that God in his infinite wisdom, that he would allow pain to enter into our lives to help us to know that something is wrong. So we're going to look at some fundamental reasons why God allows suffering and the hope that we can find in the end of it all. Here's the first thing, if you want to write this in, to remember that love requires freedom to choose. Love requires the freedom to choose. The freedom to choose is a part of love. My, my grandchildren come over the house and they used to eat these, you know, these little yogurts. You buy them like three for 99 cents or like five. I don't know how, how the mathematics go, but you can buy a whole bunch for a few dollars. And so we would stock that up, put that in our refrigerator. And when my grandchildren would come over, they would see the yogurt and then they would pick the favorite one. Well, I found this one yogurt that is super good, and I like this yogurt, but it's kind of expensive, and so that's Papa's yogurt. Well, one day I make all the yogurt, and I'm eating mine, and my youngest one, Oakley, he looks at it and says, Papa, what's that? And I said, oh, that's yogurt. He says, can I try? I said, sure. So I have it with granola, and so I give him the yogurt. He goes, oh, I like that one. I was like, what? So my other grandson asked, can I try that one? So... They eat my yogurt now, the expensive yogurt. And, I, and I'm thinking, why? Do you eat your own yogurt, but they don't eat it, so we don't buy that anymore. So now we have to buy like five expensive yogurts. So if you see me with a sign outside asking for free yogurts, that's because we're running out. So they'll come over, ask for yogurt and granola, and they call it Papa's yogurt. And I let them choose because I love them. Now, I could say no. And you as a grandparent, you know that's very hard to say. Some of you, it's not hard. And there are some things I have to tell them no. But because I love them, I let them choose which one they would want. I also have this, um, they used to eat Pop-Tarts. Now, we love Pop-Tarts, and some of us shouldn't eat that, but they are so good, but not good for us. So we feed them to our grandchildren because they burn it off. They burn off the sugar. So they eat the Pop-Tarts. I eat this thing called a Cliff Bar, and it's supposedly more healthier protein and things like that for active people. So I'm eating that. And then they ask, Papa, what is that? I said, it's a Cliff Bar. Can I try? I said, sure, you're not going to like it. They love it. They call that their Pop-Tarts now. So now we don't buy Pop-Tarts. They eat my Cliff Bars. So we're going into debt because of yogurt and Cliff Bars because my grandchildren keep eating them. And so I ask myself, how is this even possible that I let them eat my expensive food? It's because of love. Now, I could stop them, and I try my very best. I tried the, you know, oh, this junk. You're not going to like it. Sour, junk, rotten. No, you don't like this. This is old. I can, I can do all of those things. I can stop them. But when they come of age or when they start working and getting their own money, they're going to choose to buy it with or without my permission. They, they, they're going to do it. Why? Because that's what they want to choose. They have the freedom to choose. Whether I like it or not, we have the freedom to choose. Why is that there? Because choice needs to be intrinsically a part of love. It's weaved in without the freedom to choose. You know what would happen? Let's just say we didn't have the freedom to choose. Let's just say you wanted someone to love you. And I would, I would just I would type in, Heidi must love me. Cling, and then it downloads into Heidi. And Heidi would say, I love you, I love you. Yes, you must love me. Also, you got to cook me dinner. So cook me dinner, ching, 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 ching. I will cook you dinner, I will cook you dinner. You know what would happen? Yeah, we would be like robots 
far from humanity without love. God could have programmed hardwired into us to not be able to choose, but that you would just listen. That sounds like great parenting. If we could just put that in our kids, just listen. But there's a choice there. You wouldn't want someone to love you because they had no choice. If that were so, that wouldn't be love. Sometimes we ask God, why, why, don't, why don't you stop this person from doing this? Why don't you stop evil from happening? Why don't you do this? What we're asking God to do is take away the very thing that makes us human beings. And that's the ability to love. Without the freedom to choose, it wouldn't be love at all. Let me ask you this question. Does the moon love the earth? I hope you didn't say yes, because how do you know? There is no love. The moon cannot love, but it does obey God. And it does comply with God. See, if we say, well, why didn't God just make us obey him? Then we would be a planet. That's what we would be. We would have no choice but just to rotate, spin around in circles. That's it. No freedom. But because of love, there needs to be the choice involved in it. And this is what happens in the beginning at the Garden of Eden because love is the supreme ethic. It gives us value. It gives us worth. And you can never have love without the freedom of the will. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 18 tells us that the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him or comparable to him. See, God wasn't, God wasn't giving Adam and Eve the the choice between pain and suffering and perfection. He wasn't saying, well, what do you want? Do you want pain and suffering or do you want perfection? He's saying, I love you. Therefore, there needs to be choice. So I'm giving you the freedom to choose. And we still have those questions, why would God allow suffering? Some of you suffered for 12 years and just graduated. Maybe 13 for some. <laughs> Parents, you may have sacrificed and suffered for 12 long years. But isn't it worth graduation? Seeing our children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews graduate. Now, I, I say suffering only because that's what it felt like when I was in school. So maybe, maybe not so much suffering. But we do want to say congratulations to all the graduates that did pull it off and you did well. Well done. And if you think school was suffering, now you got to work. Talk about suffering. So I think we all understand to some degree what suffering looks like. Now there is the, the, the minor suffering and we joke about school and, and having to work and, and raising children and that's, you know, <laughs> suffering. And, and so you have that side, but you also have the extreme side of suffering. That these things rip families apart and cause people to go into deep depression and suicidal thoughts because we suffer. Even the prophets of the Bible 
questioned God about suffering. King David, Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, they asked God these questions. But they asked God these questions in the context of drawing near to God, not to deny him, not to run from him. They would say, Lord, how long will, this, will, will the wicked continue to prosper? How long do we have to endure? But they never questioned God so that they would run from him. They questioned him in the context of understanding God. And sometimes we look at the suffering that goes on and we use it for the context of running from God, denying God, or saying he doesn't love us. But love has to have the freedom to choose and you can never have love without weaving into it the freedom of the will. It just won't happen. If you want compliance, some kind of machine that we're built like, we're asking for something other than humanity. I like the story of the, the man and his horse. The story goes where this one man has a, has a horse and the horse runs away. The neighbor comes over and says, hey, bad luck, oh, your horse ran away. And he says, well, I don't know anything about good luck. I don't know anything about bad luck. Well, a couple of days later, the horse comes back with 20 other horses, wild horses, and they come back, and, and the, the neighbor sees this, and he says, hey, good thing, yeah, your horse left and brought back 20 more horses. Good luck to you. The guy says, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about good luck or bad luck. Well, one day, this man's son gets kicked in his leg by one of the horses that were wild and breaks the leg of this owner's son. And so... The neighbor sees this, comes out and says, hey, bad luck. Yeah, your son got kicked in the leg from one of those wild horses. The guy says, I, I don't know about good luck or bad luck. A couple days go by, a bunch of thugs, a gang comes by looking to recruit people for their no good deeds. And they're picking this man's son, but then sees that his leg is broken and passes by. The neighbor comes back and says, yeah, I saw those thugs come over trying to recruit your son. Good thing, yeah, his leg was broken. Good luck happened, wasn't it? And the guy says, good luck, bad luck. I don't know about these things. Now you look at one, just one event. And the series of events that take place just with one episode of what looks good or doesn't look good. And we can already see that we don't know what suffering brings and what is going to take place in the very end. But one day we will. And that's what Jesus was doing when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. He was bringing in the future of the hope that we have. See, when Jesus talks about that future that we have, what he's doing is he's showing us that there is there is going to be a time and a place where everything will begin to make sense. Until then, it's very hard for us to understand because we're trying to piece everything together without all of the pieces. And we're trying to make a picture. And the final picture, with only a few puzzle pieces, and we're upset because there are no more pieces that we can put in. And Jesus says there will come a day, and you will see, that I'm going to wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain and no more suffering. And he promises that to us because Jesus came to address evil. He came to, he came to put a, a, an end to evil. And there will come a day when the end will be the end, but it will be the beginning for those who have called upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
He says it like this in the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. And he's talking about this evil that is inside of a man. Jesus goes on and he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. See, there is evil in this world, and it comes from within. See, for Adam and Eve, there was evil that came to them in order for them to disobey. And when Jesus talks about the the heart of man, then we got to ask the question, what about suffering that is not because of someone or someone's disobedience or, or some evil in the world? What do you do when... They're suffering. And we don't know what to do about it. How do we even respond to God? Here's a second thing we can understand. That man's disobedience to God brought suffering into our world. It wasn't, God's first cause wasn't suffering. God's first cause was love. That he gave us love. But man's disobedience to God brought suffering into our world. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, gives us the story of what took place. And it says this, Now the serpent, who is the devil, Satan, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it. Now, Eve added those words in. God did not say, nor shall you touch it. But he did say, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, God gave love long before suffering was introduced to the world. He loved us with everything that he had. And it was man's disobedience. And here it is, Genesis 3, 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. See, with that one act of disobedience, suffering comes into our world. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the ramifications last even till today. And so God speaks to them and speaks to the devil himself in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God says, I will put enmity between you, and he's speaking to the serpent, the devil, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And God was speaking actually about Jesus who was to come to be the savior of the world. He said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, devil, and her seed, which will be Christ. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then, Adam, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. By the way, the Bible is not saying, don't listen to your wife. Because we can read that. I see some husbands highlighting that. Look, look, see when I listen to you, look what happened to the world. He said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, now the ground is cursed. And then he says, in toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Speaking of the grounds, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So we can already see with that one act of disobedience, sin came into our lives, into humanity, and that has been passed on since day one and has corrupted the actual earth because of one act of disobedience. And God even warned them, once you eat this, you will surely die. The day you disobey is the day you begin to die. And so now we see death as a result of disobedience, that you will surely die. The moment we're conceived, we begin dying because of disobedience. Now, it seems like a sad thing. It's like, okay, so why, why, when is this all going to be better? And what will it look like? Will God one day just redeem everyone? What is it going to look like? And then, what if it's not about a person or because of a person or by a person that pain and suffering comes into our life? What about tornadoes and, and hurricanes? That's not, man didn't do that, right? You can't make a tornado come up. You can't make a tsunami happen. That's not man-made. Well, it actually started with Adam and Eve. Because of their disobedience, it corrupted everything, even the earth. Look at what Romans 8.22 tells us. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So even the earth is going through some difficult things. I mean, long before global warming became an issue, the earth was already in pain. It was already suffering. So whether you believe in global warming or not, or whatever side you're on, really comes down to what took place in the very beginning, that sin entered the world and corrupted the earth itself, and the earth also suffers. But Jesus came to redeem us from suffering, and here's the hope we have, if you want to write this in your last point, that heaven is our home, not this world. That is the greatest news, that heaven is our home, not this world. God has a perfect place designed for us, a perfect place where you and I, once we make that commitment to say, Lord, I choose you, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you came to redeem me, so I make that eternal decision. That's why we say it's an eternal decision. When Satan made the eternal decision to rebel against God, that was his eternal decision. So now he's completely separated from God. But when we make that eternal decision to say, God, I want to be with you in heaven, that's an eternal decision. That's why when we get to heaven, even though we still have that love that God has given to us, it's already an eternal decision. We're not going to rebel against God. And we're not going to choose to disobey God because there's no sin in heaven. Jesus came to conquer sin and death. And that's what he did. 
and to put the end to the works of the devil. That's what he did. That's why the death and resurrection of Jesus is so incredibly important for us to understand. That because of that one act, we now have a future and a hope for all of eternity. Now you might ask, okay, so what about the bad people? Where do they go? Because what if, what if, what if I'm bad but I know God? What, what happens then? Well, all we know is this. For anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if we try to look for good people and bad people, that's us. That's why we need the Lord. But we're not from here. We can look at the world and say, boy, it's falling apart, but the hope we have is that we're not from here. The Bible tells us this in Philippians 3.20. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now we call him our Lord because we want to obey him so he, he has Lord over our lives but then he's also our Savior that he came to redeem us so that one day we could be together with him forever in heaven and all those who have called upon the name of the Lord will be with them in heaven also. You know this thing called love that comes with the freedom to choose just think about the love that we have, especially for a loved one. That when we have love towards someone else and they pass away, here's what is interesting. Your love for them never dies, does it? Your love never dies. Why? Because love is eternal. And God gave us love to last for all of eternity. Why? Because one day our love is going to connect with those whom we still love. Because this is not our home. We will one day be at home with the Lord in a place called heaven. Now then the question comes up, once we talk about heaven, then people ask, wait a minute, if there's a heaven and a hell, then if God loved us, why would he send people to hell? Now, here's what is so interesting. We think God sends people to hell, but God didn't create hell for people. And God doesn't send people to hell. He doesn't send people to heaven either. You choose heaven or not. It's our choice. That's how much God loves us. He says, it's your choice. But I choose, I, I pray you choose me. I pray you choose me because you have no idea what it's going to be like because you only see the suffering that you have now. But imagine a place where there is no more suffering, no more pain. If you can just imagine a glimpse of that, that's a small, tiny picture of what heaven is going to be like. And so some people say then, okay, if we're citizens of heaven and hell was not prepared for us, who was hell prepared for? Well, Matthew 25, 41, Jesus addresses this. And he's talking about that day of judgment. He says, then he will say to those on his left, and this is God, for those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. You've got to remember, when the devil rebelled against God, so did one-third of the angels. So God prepared that place for them. That was their choice. So now when it comes to the end, God will, says, God will say, well, okay, you who, you who have chosen this side, that's the cursed side. So 
I'm going to be in heaven. You're going to have to depart from me. But you're going to have to go to a place that wasn't prepared for you. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Tell me God's heart is not breaking because of the very creatures he loves, rejects him for all of eternity. And we might say, well, then why doesn't God do something about it? Why doesn't God, like, help? Why doesn't he just come in and help us? He did. He stepped out of heaven, the perfect place, to come here on this imperfect place where there is suffering and suffered for those who even reject him and died a painful death on the cross so that even those who reject him could find salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection. That's why God came to this earth because of love that those who choose him will find eternity in a place called heaven. So how is God preparing it for us? What does it look like? Here it is. Jesus said it so well in John 14. Jesus said, listen, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What is prepared for us? Heaven. That's what God has prepared for us, a perfect place. And he wants us to tell everyone about this perfect place. That's what these invitation cards are for. This Father's Day card, it's not just some neat thing that we print out. A soul is attached to this. Someone who might be rejecting God right now, who do, who do not, they don't know about the wonderful place called heaven. They do not know that there is a God who loves them, that even though we live in a place of suffering, that God gives us the freedom to choose. Even though we live in a place of suffering, God says there is a time that I'm going to wipe away every tear. And there are people out there who need to know. So take these invitations, invite people in the hopes that they find Christ. And when they find him, they will find that hope. That even though we may question God and suffering in the world, it'll be in the context of drawing nearer to him, not further away from him. Because Jesus came to redeem us, to overcome evil, because heaven is for us. Yes, suffering is real. But that wasn't God's original plan. Love was. That was his intent. And so when you feel suffering and pain, turn to Jesus. He understands suffering. He understands pain more than you realize. He suffered on the cross. He understands what pain is all about. And he died so that we could find peace and comfort in him for all of eternity. The story I talked about, the, the girl Ashlyn who has that uh, disease, SIPA, that, that rare disease. Her mother prays for her every single day. Here's her mother's prayer. Lord God, help my daughter to feel pain. I don't, I'm thinking, how can you pray that? But she understands that without her daughter feeling that pain, she would have no idea that she's actually suffering. She would have no idea that her life is actually on the line. Now, what God is not saying is, I'm going to make you suffer so that you know something is wrong. It's actually the other way around. We suffer because something went wrong. Man 
chose to disobey God. And it's still evident in our world today. We can look back at the beginning and say, whoa, they disobeyed God. We still do the very same thing in our very own homes. The Garden of Eden is right in our very backyard. So Jesus came so that we would find redemption. That even though we suffer in this world, he wants to remind us that there will come a day where he will wipe every tear from our eyes and we will be reunited with our loved ones who have called upon him as Lord and Savior and we will see the glory of God and we'll begin to understand why everything took place the way they did. Up until then, we got a few pieces from the puzzle missing. How about we wait till we see God face to face and then we'll be able to get all the questions answered. But today, let's draw closer to God himself. Even though it doesn't look like the world is doing so well, all we know is God is. He's doing very well and he is always on the throne. Would you pray with me? Bow our heads for a moment. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for your sacrifice, your obedience to God. Thank you for dying on the cross and and giving us a future and a hope. We thank you for your grace, for showing us how merciful you really are. And even though we live in a world that is suffering, you have come to set us free and to redeem us. Lord, I know there are some here this morning that maybe they've never called upon you as Lord and Savior, but they feel a tug on their heart. Maybe they've never, they never knew that you're not so much concerned about their past or present, but you're more concerned about their future and where they're heading. And so today, Lord, our commitment is to draw close to you. And if you're here today and you're saying, you know, I've never given Jesus my heart, but I, I want to I wanna surrender my life to him. I want to I make a, a dedication, a, a commitment to him. And I want to, I really want to give him my life. I want to surrender it to him. We're going to pray a prayer together. And even if you've prayed this a thousand times, it's once again saying, this is my commitment, Lord. But for those who want to give their hearts to Christ today, their lives today, to Jesus, in exchange for the life that he has for you, we can say this prayer together. And it's a prayer of salvation. And if that's you and you're saying, I want Jesus in my heart, could you just lift your hand up real briefly? And you're saying, I want to give him my heart today. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, God sees you right here. Yeah, God bless you. You say, I want Jesus. Yeah, God sees you. Yeah, back there. Good, God sees you. Okay, you can put your hands down. And as we pray this prayer, if you've said this over and over and over, such a good reminder, the power of God. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean and make me brand new. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave to give me eternal life. And I thank you for saving me for all of eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said together, amen.